all of a sudden, all heck broke loose. Grenade simulators and artillery and bright flashes and explosions and machine gun fire and all that. And I, I, they just let loose of me, and I just dropped on my face in the dirt. And they ran to the ditches to return fire and all this. I was just laying there. I didn't know what the heck was going on. And all of a sudden, a strong hand grabbed my right arm and said, Bob, is that you? And I said, yeah, Chuck, that's me. Because I recognized his voice in the dark. He was my ranger buddy. He said, Bob, come with me. And he literally drugged me off of that dirt road. Never have I seen such a profound analogy of what God does for us. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. In this conversation, I have the honor and privilege of learning from retired Major General Bob Dees and his journey with Jesus Christ. He served in the military for 31 years and was an executive with Microsoft, the vice president with Liberty University, and was the campaign chairman for Dr. Ben Carson when he was running for president of the United States of America in 2016. Bob is passionate about resilience, God's style. If you wanna learn how you can bounce back when your life crashes into hardship, rather than breaking like a fragile egg, then you'll really enjoy this episode. I'll get to our conversation in just a moment, but I wanna thank you for listening to Along the Way. I hope that you like what you hear and that you'll subscribe. You can connect with me online as well. All of my socials and contact links are in the show notes. And you can check out all of my episodes at my website, alongtheway.media. I would love to hear from you. And now, here's my Along the Way conversation with retired Major General Bob Dees. With me today, I have retired Major General Bob Dees. Thank you so much for allowing me to join you along your way. You've been with the Army for 31 years. You've written a book series about resilience, which a friend of mine was really excited whenever I told him that I was going to be interviewing you because he's read all of your books. You've got a lot of different things that God has brought you through along your way on your journey with him. And I'm looking forward to talking with you now about what God is doing in your life now and, and really how he's led you to where you are today. Well, John, it's great to be with you. And I honor you for doing this podcast because I think... Uh, Things like this where we can communicate with one another are very important. Absolutely. Well, Bob, thanks so much for being here. And if you wouldn't mind, let's get started into your story. You were major general. That's kind of a big deal. I don't get many opportunities to talk to a major general. How did you decide that you wanted to get into the military? That had to be a big decision in your life. Well, it's funny. There are some of the... Uh you know, as uh, your Emmaus Road analogy, you know, at the time, I didn't realize how God was shaping things. And uh, so I was playing football in Houston, Texas. And uh, at that time, I was being recruited to go play at West Point, U.S. Military Academy. And I went to several engagements with this gentleman who was a local West Point graduate that was helping with football recruiting and got to know him a bit. And then just separately, uh, at high school, junior year, Valentine's Day, I had a date with this young lady. She was ill, so her best friend came and told me that she was not going to be able to make it to the basketball game that night. And as a true teenage entrepreneur, as she was walking away, I said, uh, oh, would you like to go? <laughs> and she said, oh, okay. And so we went to the basketball game. So the rest is history. Uh, now we've been married 57 years. That's not right. <laughs> right. We've been married 47 years. Sorry. Uh, on, 
on, on the, uh, so on the second date, I went to her house and I knocked on the door uh, expecting her to answer, but this gentleman answered the door and he was a football guy. Uh, I said, what are you doing here? And he said, what am I doing here? That's my daughter <laughs> you're, you're dating. Uh, so my two worlds collided, this whole football thing and then the date. And so I say I went to West Point for all the wrong reasons, perhaps. I went because of a pretty girl and because of this uh, football thing. You know, that was the way God was working in mysterious ways. I went to West Point. That's, I won't dive into all of that now because I'm sure we'll talk about it. That's where I really jump-started my relationship with God and grew and became equipped to go out to be a, a missionary and a merchant of hope for 31 years in the military and then beyond. So God used those circumstances to bring me to the right setting at the right time. I like how you, you just phrased that. You were a missionary in the military. That's a pretty cool way to look at that situation where God called you to, because it wasn't just a thing to do. It wasn't just a job. It was your calling for sure. You know, marketplace ministry is a sort of a, a mantra and it's a good thing. Back then, I had never heard of marketplace ministry. I just was discipled by some people and they, they really built into me. And then they said, okay, now you're going out into the military. And it's like, you're all about Jesus. And oh, by the way, you're in the military instead of in the military and drag Jesus along with you. It makes a world of difference. So it's been Jesus first for you this whole time. That's great. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Tell me about your faith growing up. How did Jesus become the Lord of your life? Well, as many people would probably uh, uh, start, it was a faithful grandmother in my life. I had a wonderful mom, dear Christian mom, and but a Christian grandmother. She didn't say much, but she was distinguished, and she just had a godly presence about her. And so I would, as a young boy, go to Sunday school and church and things. And then at 11, at the urging of a Sunday school teacher, but it was my mom, my grandmom, everybody was sort of involved in this, wrapping arms around me. I gave my life to the Lord and then was baptized at that time. And then in all honesty, as I then started navigating teenage years and things, I wandered and, you know, wasn't really living for the Lord, wasn't really investing. And then I got to West Point. And mm. uh, at West Point, they took away my hair. How dare they? <laughs> what was your hair like before then? Oh, it's just like uh, sort of uh, a little longer than it is now, you know, and maybe I sort of had those 1960s bangs or something. But... Uh, <laughs> But they took it all away, and then they took away my Pontiac, how dare they, and then they called me a plebe, and I was the lowest of the low. I was sort of the scum of the earth, uh, and uh, I recognized, dug down, you know, into my gut, so to speak, into my soul, I might come up empty-handed, and so I, although I'd given my life to Christ, I really didn't have the tools, the equipping, the firm foundation that I really needed. And I recognized if I was going to go through West Point, and then furthermore, those were the days of Vietnam, if I was going to go into the military, I needed more than I had. And God in his providence at the same time put a math instructor into my life. He went through the roster of new plebes coming in because he was a, a missionary in the military, mm. if you will. And he saw somebody that had gone to the same high school. He had gone 10 years earlier, and it was a, a gentleman named Andy Seidel, wrapped his arms around me as a young plebe, said, hey, why don't you come up and have some enchilada dinners at our house when you get a chance to get away and have a, your first home-cooked meal and all this stuff. And so for four years, they discipled me. And for four years, they discipled that young girl from basketball game, Kathleen, my bride. 
Uh, and it was the best gift anyone could have given us. They equipped us. They loved us. They really taught us what it was like to not only know Jesus, but make him the Lord of our life and really invest in certain things. And then there were certain, obviously, solidifying events along the way, even at West Point. Uh, one of them was uh, there was a gentleman that first year when I was a plebe. He was a upperclassman, a senior. You know, he was God, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, but he was the captain of the gymnastics team. He was a man's man, and he loved Jesus like crazy. And he even would allow, he was humble enough to allow a little plebe to be in his Bible study. And so that's the type of guy he was. And we respected him. And when you uh, graduate at West Point, you have a dollar bill and you give that dollar bill to the first one that salutes you. So uh, the best I can recall, uh, there were several people saluting. I, I saluted him right after graduation and I, I ended up with a dollar bill in my hand. I think it was the dollar bill from John Shun. So you can appreciate how I really uh, veered him. He went off to Vietnam. I went off through the summer training and things and then was back my second year, my yearling year, they call it. The third month, I found myself in the West Point Cemetery. Mm. And I was standing at the grave of John Shine. He had been killed in Vietnam. And they were folding the flag and handing it to the young wife, the young widow, on behalf of a grateful nation. And I almost could audibly hear from, uh, you know, the, the heavens the 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 first jump command because i was all immersed in airborne training and all that stuff the first jump command was get ready and it was like i could hear get ready from my heavenly father and it was a an alert to me to really lean in in every way possible because i could be in the same situation john shine was in mm. in a very short period of time and a couple of buddies and i we we sort of shared this and we started memorizing scripture like crazy. We memorized verses and then chapters and in some cases whole books of scripture. We, did, we were just getting ready because we heard that people were being uh, imprisoned in Hanoi Hilton as prisoners of war. Yeah. And they would strip everything away from them. So we said, you know, just like David, thy word have I hidden my heart. We knew that that's what we had to do because everything else would be stripped away. And mm. never did I appreciate the compound interest that that, investment in those few years at West Point to pay for the rest of my life to include now and and into the future. So I want to just ask you two questions there. First one is you've made mention of this, of this term plebe a few times now, and I am not completely aware of what that means. And I'm sure that other people might not be aware. Could you let me know a little bit more about what that term means? And then I'll ask you the second one after that. Sure. I, I'm not real smart about this either. I think the root is plebiscite, and it's sort of the lowest class in Greek culture. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. You might have to correct me on that, uh, but uh, I, that's the best of my knowledge. And, and the point is, you're just, you're the servant. You're the doulos. Yeah. You're the lowest of the low. And, you know, at West Point, they tell you, you have four answers. Uh, yes, sir. No, sir. Sir, do not know. Uh, sir, do not understand. Uh, and, and that's, that's it, <laughs> you know, and you can imagine when, when you're in some exasperating situation or, or you're being accused of something or whatever, and you have these four answers, but it helps you to learn to be disciplined. Yeah. You know, it's the old, like soft answer turns away wrath. It helps you to be humble, contrite, 
as it says in Isaiah 66 too, it says, God calls upon those who are humble, contrite, and who tremble at his word. And so, you know, even at West Point, although they don't do it for spiritual reasons, right? the, the plebe training helps you to be humble, helps you to be contrite, and helps you to tremble, at least at the words of the upperclassmen that are, <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's all these analogies, obviously, in the military that apply to spiritual discipline. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, that Isaiah 66 verse 2 is one of my life verses, and that's something that I try to aspire to. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad I asked that question for further clarification there, but <laughs> I, I want to focus in on, on what you just talked about regarding memorizing scripture and hiding that word in your heart, because you were in a situation where you realized this Vietnam war is happening. The chances of me going there are pretty high and the chances of me being captured, killed, whatever it is, I need to be prepared for that, prepared for the worst case scenario. And the way that you prepared yourself was by memorizing scripture. Can you just focus in on that a little bit more? Because I want to hear what were some of those scriptures that you really needed to hold on to? And how did you stay motivated during that? Because we all know that the enemy is coming for us, the enemy of our soul, the enemy of, of our flesh as well. But how did you stay motivated with that? Yeah, I think, as I recall back, one of the most powerful scriptures and one of the first was Psalm 139. Because, you know, we all question our identity and we all need to know our identity is in Christ and not in the world or not even in life or death. So in those circumstances I was in, you know, uh, I was search me and know me. Thou knowest my down sitting and in my uprising. Thou understand, understandest my thought from afar off. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my mouth, but lo, thou knowest it all together. The dark and the light are like unto thee, O God. You know, as an infantry officer, uh, it was a great encouragement to me when I wandered through dark woods and jungles and things uh, that the light and the day were alike unto God. Yeah. So I had at times God's night vision goggles, uh, you know, in my own mind. Mm. And, and then another one uh, related to adversity. Obviously, there's a wonderful verse in Romans uh, 5, 3 through 5 that talks about how we go from uh, adversity uh, to perseverance to proven character. And then there's a verse in James uh, that was, James 1 was awful powerful for me in those early days. In the Living Translation, it says, Dear friends, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy, for when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow, and don't try to squirm out of your problems, for when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you'll be strong in character, full and complete. So, you know, there are just all sorts. A story about this investment after graduation, I was uh, going through infantry officer basic and airborne school, and then I was in ranger school. And in ranger school, uh, you, you sort of go through with a, the cohort, and a lot of it are your West Point classmates because they're on the same cycle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe uh, oh, 100 plus of your West Point classmates and then some others that are in a particular ranger class. So we were in, a, it was a, we were in winter ranger, which is the toughest because you get – frostbite, hands, feet, and all these things. And one day uh, on a Sunday morning, the, the ranger sergeant busted into my, uh, where I was staying, my hooch, and, and he said, Ranger Dees, you're the preacher for today. They had a little country preacher that would come into the, to the mountain ranger camp up in the mountains of Dahlonega, but because of the snow was so deep and things, he couldn't make it that morning. 
you're the preacher today. And I, I don't know why he appoint, why he picked me out of all these others. I just have to assume that in some way he saw God in my life or he saw something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he'd heard me quoting a scripture or something. So I soon found myself in front of all these rangers. It was a profound moment because one of my verses, really my life verse, is Isaiah 40, 31. Mm. They who trust in the Lord shall renew their strength, mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. And so I, I said, okay, rangers, we're here in the mountain ranger camp. We just finished an airborne operation last night. I know some of you landed in the trees. And then, you know, I know we're going to make a long ruck march later today. And we just did our run this morning. So let me give you a verse. And I quoted that verse, Isaiah 40, 31, mount up with wings as eagles. Sounds like airborne to me. Sounds like jumping out of an airplane and all that. Uh, They identified and they started to think. And then I talked about the run and the walking and not fainting on the rucks. And so all of a sudden, these hardened rangers, some were Christian, but most were not. They're just grizzly, hardcore guys. They hadn't eaten. They hadn't slept, all those things. They're at a teachable moment. The Word of God, just one Bible verse, was powerful and relevant and applicable to their exact circumstance. And then uh, I, I will go to my 50th reunion in 2022. So it's just around the corner, 50th reunion from West Point. And I can guarantee you that someone or multiple people will come to me and they'll remind me of that moment or some will say, you remember that I've never talked to about this before. They'll say, you remember back when you talked about that? Well, I've been thinking about that over the years and just of recent with the illness of my wife or whatever, uh, that has come back to me and I recognize that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Hmm. And they'll talk about a salvation experience that they've had, but rooted way back wow. just in hearing one Bible verse. So uh, it's not me, but it is the Word of God that's powerful and alive and sharper than a two-edged sword, you know, effective not just on a, at the moment in time, but over days, years, decades. Uh, so I just can say praise the Lord, but that's the, the power of His Word uh, in season. That's an awesome story, Bob. <laughs> I mean, the, the power of, of a word in season is remarkable because God can speak more with those words than we could speak in an entire sermon. And he can cut right to the heart of a man. And that's, that's awesome. That, that day, you saw a bit of a glimpse of your purpose, inspiring men with the word of God. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Amen. What else happened in your military career that we want to talk about? Oh, my. Um as I was going through ranger school, again, up in that mountain ranger camp, it was tough, cold conditions, and I contracted pneumonia. And they sent me to this little country doctor. He had to jump on a sick call truck and go to the country doctor. He x-rayed me, and he said, ranger, you have pneumonia. You can't go on. You're out of the course. So go on back, tell your folks. And, you know, and this was in the days of Vietnam again. And so uh, I was in preparation uh, and, and this was not just a nice ranger tab to put on your uniform. This was life, death, to keep yourself alive, to keep those yeah. who are responsible for a life type of training. Uh, so it was devastating to me. And I labored overnight and prayed and all this. 
And the next morning, uh, one of the ranger sergeants came in, and he just yelled out, hey, who needs to go on sick call? And without asking questions or anything, I went back and jumped on the same truck I'd been on the day before. And I went back to the doctor. And I said, doctor, I just give me one more shot. And he was really angry with me. You know, you, you're wasting people's time. You know what? You got pneumonia. And so I said, come on, doc, just one more time. X-ray me, please. And so he X-rayed me. And uh, he came back with this curious look. And he said, uh, okay, Ranger, I can't find any pneumonia. And you're, okay, so you're back in the course. Get out of here. And uh, I, you know, it's like the boy born blind in John 9. Yeah. He once was blind, but now I see, I, 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 one day I had pneumonia, the next day I didn't. I just give God the credit. I don't know how all that happened. Praise him. And so I went back. And, and in ranger school, they never do anything easy. It's always got to be hard, you know. Yeah. So they need to insert me back. I'd missed a day of training or so with my squad platoon that you train with. And so they put me out at a road intersection in the middle of the woods, a dusty road intersection with my equipment, my weapon. Uh, I was there for an hour and then three hours and then six hours, no food, no anything, you know, it's like, okay, what's going on? And then all of a sudden as dusk was approaching, this truck screamed up and these guys with pointy black hats and black pajamas jumped out. They were Viet Cong role players and they grabbed me and they tied my arms behind my back with a bamboo stick. They blindfolded me. And then they started walking me down this narrow path in the jungle. You know, this was like crazy. And this is very real <laughs> to mm-hmm. me. And, were you aware that they were role players at that time? Well, you know, I mean, you assume that they are. Sure. Okay. Yeah. You assume, I mean, you have to assume that uh, because of the way they're dressed and things. That, that doesn't make it much easier. So this wasn't happening the, in Vietnam, though? This was... No, no. This oh, okay, was in okay. training. This is in the mountains of North Georgia. And right. if, the Viet, if the Viet Cong got to North Georgia, we're in big trouble. But that's a different Yeah, we're story. in big trouble. That's right. That's why <laughs> okay. I could have... <laughs> uh, so the net, though, is that all of a sudden, all heck broke loose. And there are these uh, grenade simulators and artillery and bright flashes and explosions and machine gun fire and all that... And I, I, they just let loose of me, and I just dropped on my face in the dirt. And they ran to the ditches to return fire and all this. And so I was just laying there. I didn't know what the heck was going on. And all of a sudden, a strong hand grabbed my right arm and said, Bob, is that you? And I said, yeah, Chuck, that's me. Because I recognized his voice in the dark. Mm. He was my ranger buddy. And he said, Bob, come with me. And he literally drugged me off of that dirt road. And I learned that this POW, prisoner of war snatch mission, it was a mission that we trained to, to, you know, recover POWs from enemy patrols like this. And so they had executed that mission in order to capture me back and then rejoin me with my platoon and go on. Never have I seen such a profound analogy of what God does for us. Hmm. He lays hold of us. He calls us by name. And then he transfers us from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. Wow. And so that was a profound experience for me. And it just burned in me deeply what God has done on my behalf, but what he does for each one of us and can do for each one of us as he transfers us from darkness to light. That's a powerful story. I mean, as you were saying that, I could, I could picture that happening. And just that you recognized his voice. He called you by name. Yeah, Jesus really does that with us, too. 
So were you sent to Vietnam? No, I never did, yeah. uh, as it turned out. Uh, our, our class was the first class uh, not to go to Vietnam. Uh, you know, they were standing it down at the time and withdrawing at the time, so none of us went. Uh, and uh, we, we were getting ready. We trained under the threat of that, but then we went on, and, you know, there were skirmishes along the way over the next 30 years. It was, right. you know, uh, that, but not the Vietnam that was such a wound in the, in the soul of the nation, to be honest. So, mm-hmm. One other thing that comes to mind, since you mentioned voice in the dark, the reason I use that terminology is that uh, when I was commanding in Korea on the demilitarized zone, you know, I was responsible for about 18,000 United States soldiers and then other Korean soldiers. And so I recognized as a leader, I needed to communicate very clearly and succinctly. And uh, my, as you can tell by now, my grid is a biblical framework. Mm-hmm. So how can I bring biblical truth to the people that I lead without stepping over the line, uh, so to speak. Uh, you've got to be innocent as doves, wise as serpents. So the acid test I gave to all the leaders and to all the chaplains was, do your soldiers know your voice in the dark? Hmm. If they know your voice in the dark, there's a bond of shared trust and confidence. Uh, and if they know your voice in the dark, that suggests you're, you're being with them in the dark. The military metaphor is, walking the flight line at night or the deck of a ship at night, you know, seeing how the troops are doing, walking the defensive position from foxhole to foxhole. Hey, Smitty, how you doing? Everybody okay? You got chow. You know who's on your right, right? Who's on your left type of thing. Uh, and over time, they learn the leader's voice in the dark. It a, becomes a bond of trust and confidence. Well, where does that come from? It comes from John 10. Yeah, My sheep know my voice. And so there's all these powerful biblical principles that one can apply uh, in a secular sense in the marketplace, wherever people are placed, that are powerful and dynamic. And you don't have to give the scripture reference. Although in, in my case, uh, this is part of a broader story. I, I can shred out in a moment if you would like. But yeah, please. As we got to about a year into this experience of command in Korea, we had turned the corner, we had righted the ship. And when I went to Korea, I went there in a crisis. Normally they give you a, a year to train to go to division command. There's 10 divisions in the army at the time. And so this was only one of the 10 divisions. And they give you a year to train, charm school this and that, and legal and so forth. And I'd never been to Korea on an assignment. I had visited there briefly. So here I am going into this unique circumstance, and they said, I got a call from the chief staff of the Army. He said, we've got a crisis in Korea. You need to be there in nine days. And I thought, really? And, and I, was, I remember getting the call. I was at home with my wife, and we sort of both fell to our knees, and we said, Lord, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was like, again, here comes a, sort of an audible voice from heaven so like a chuckle, like a heavenly chuckle. Of course you can't do this, is what I was hearing the Lord say. Of course you can't do this. I mean, so what's new? Uh, and, then he, and then it was a reminder that says, remember Nehemiah. And I had heard a, chap, a chaplain preach a sermon on Nehemiah. By, said The title was Remember Nehemiah about a decade before. 
And so I went to the book of Nehemiah in this short period of time. We were packing up, getting ready to go. I, I had to fly to Washington, meet with the chief staff of the army, and then I was gone. And that was it. And I was now in this crucible. And remember, Nehemiah not only became an inspiration to me, but an actual blueprint. Hmm. You know, he said he did a reconnaissance and held things in his heart. He said they kept one hand on the weapon and one hand on the work because of the emphasis on security. Yeah. And so this crisis that I went into as a, as a leader, the way God allowed me to navigate it was just remembering somebody like Nehemiah and then navigating it. So in Nehemiah, it shows that after the wall had been built, uh, they had a celebration. So after a year or so, and we'd turned the corner, we'd, we'd lost like 19 soldiers in the first three or four months. And then we hadn't had a nick on it. We didn't have a nick on a soldier for like the next uh, year and a half, two years. Mm. Uh, so God really protected us as we put some good leadership and principles in place. I told the chaplain, I said, chaplain, let's have a celebration. Let's get all of our leaders together. We, we got those leaders together, and, and the chaplain just happened to invite me to, to be the speaker. You know, it, it was under the chaplain's covering, if you sure. will. And so I could say, uh, be a little more aggressive about faith matters. And I said, uh, okay, men uh, and leaders, you, you may recall when we did this. Well, here it is out of the book of Nehemiah. Hmm. There's the blueprint we were following. Here it is here. Here it is here. And, you know, it was uh, the opportunity for people to see, again, just like before at the ranger camp, the relevance of the Word of God to the nitty-gritty issues of life. And I think a lot of those life experiences in the past are what launched me into the resilience work, which was really aimed at helping with military suicide dynamic at first. And then I found that resilience is, is relevant to everyone, obviously, because we all get body slammed. We all have a, the storms of life. But f- the first motivation for me was to look at that military suicide dynamic. Oh, wow. So you had 31 years in the military. You retired as a major general. Then God calls you into a different sort of marketplace. Yeah, well, the first thing I did is I went to work for Microsoft as a, an executive in and then that put me in Washington, D.C. Uh, this is our fourth time in Washington, D.C. And uh, I went to a, a group called The Fellowship. And it was interesting because uh, as I sat around the table on Thursday mornings at something called the Ambassador Breakfast, they, every morning we would do uh, introductions every Thursday morning. All these ambassadors around the table and distinguished people. And so the guy at the head of the table says, uh, Hi, I'm Ed from Virginia. Well, that was former Attorney General Ed Meese of the United States, very distinguished. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Bob from Ohio, Congressman Bob McEwen from Ohio. And that's, that's the way it went. And so very quickly, that was important for me, uh, humble, contrite, and tremble at his word. Sometimes when you get out of the military, you know, you're sort of a little full of yourself, mm. particularly as a general officer or something. And I quickly, the, the main thing I learned in that next two years as I was fellowshipping while I was working with Microsoft, I learned that I'm Bob from Virginia. Mm. Uh, and, 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 and then that was it because uh, I, I saw that these people were humble. You didn't need to try to impress people. And every, everybody had, a, had stars on their shoulders, so to speak. And that was important. And then the, uh, in a similar way, 
I was working at Microsoft and probably the people I was working with were a half or a third of my age. Okay. Very talented people. And so I went into another culture and quickly, uh, again, uh, I'm not the general, mm-hmm. I'm Bob and yes, maybe I can be a gray beard and, and provide some, uh, elderly wisdom for y- you folks, but I'm one of you. And, and so very quickly, I, I, as a, it was part and parcel to my transition out of the military into so many other things that I had to take off that uniform, put it aside. And sometimes whether you're a, a businessman or a football player or a, a military guy or a, a lady that has a profession, whatever it is, or even a mom mm-hmm. whose children have left the home. You know, we've got to be able to uh, allow God to redefine us and show a next purpose in life. In one of the recoveries in my trauma writings, you know, there's something uh, called revalidate your calling. And after you've gone through trauma or as you're going through life transition, it's awful helpful to just uh, take a white sheet of paper and figure out what God wants to do with you in the next season of life. We often hold tightly onto what we have been, what we have done, what uniform we have worn. But the reality is we have our primary identity is in Jesus Christ and uh, our specific calling, his direction for us can change many times over our Mm -hmm. lifetime. It's like there's different seasons of life. You know, he, he had me in the military for a period of time, and then he had me in business for a season. And then as a missionary, uh, you know, as a, a real missionary for a, a season, those are just different callings. Uh, same God, same commitment, but different ways he directs us. And we really have to be open to that and not cling to the past uh, as our identity alone. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious as to know, how did you know that God was leading you to retire from one vocation and entered into another one. Right. It's always hard. And you look for all sorts of indicators. Obviously, there's wisdom in many counselors. For me, the ultimate question was, can I be more valuable doing what I'm doing? Or can somebody else do what I'm doing? And does maybe God have a unique, distinct thing for me to do? And that's, as in particular, when I decided to get out of the military, that was it. You know, in the military, particularly the general officer ranks, you work with a huge number of very talented people. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, could have, I could have continued on and, you know, no doubt God would have worked through that. But I just sensed at that moment that I could be more value and that maybe God had something totally different. He had prepared me all these years really uh, as a, with a pastor's mm-hmm. heart and, uh, you know, all, and so forth. I just felt like there was something beyond that. And, and so that's what, uh, it's a tough decision. It's yeah. always hard to, you know, leave the, the, the certainty and go into something unknown. Yeah, for sure. And that something unknown has led you to being an executive for Microsoft and vice president at a university. You said even a, an actual missionary. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that because I was a missionary for eight years with Youth with a Mission, 15 different countries. Uh Um, So I want to hear about that shared experience that we have, even though it's... Well, I love Youth with a Mission. Yeah, the the particular one I went to was uh, Campus Crusade Military Ministry. Oh, cool. So I headed them up for five years and it was a wonderful time. That was really 
uh, in uh, 2005 uh, forward, and and that was a very critical time in the life of our military because not only did they need the Word of God and need to give their lives to Jesus as always, it was a particularly critical time because PTSD, suicide, all these combat trauma dynamics were starting to show out of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And so there was a, a new felt need within the military, uh, the woundedness of the, the heart, the soul, the spirit, as well as the body. So that was during that time, my real focus. And we linked arms with a, a bunch of people in that regard. It was a real privilege to to serve that organization. And then that was really a stepping stone into uh, my work with Liberty University at, at Liberty as they made me the vice president for military outreach. And they were, you know, Liberty has a wonderful DNA mm-hmm. for the military and obviously for the Lord. And so the provost at the time asked me, oh, what would you like to do? And I said, I think we can link arms. I can provide some expertise about the military. You have the wonderful DNA and the resources. Let's link arms and let's establish something called the Institute for Military Resilience. It was the first faith-based resilience program for the military anywhere. So we did that. We established a curriculum. We established outreach programs, webinars, things like that. And then thirdly, we established some research into faith-based protocols and, and uh, you know, actually showing that faith makes a difference in an empirical sense. So all of that was uh, fascinating and uh, a privilege to work with Liberty University. I only separated from Liberty University when I was asked to be Dr. Ben Carson's campaign chairman. And so as his campaign chairman, it was, uh, you know, it was, would have been a conflict of interest. Sure. So I separated from the university. I'm still linked with the university relationally, and we do a lot of work together, but I I don't have an official position there now. So you were the campaign chairman. Yeah. Uh, Long story, there, the, I was his national security advisor for nine months, uh, just advising on, you know, foreign affairs and helping him as a presidential candidate spin up on various policy positions, okay. geopolitically stuff. And then uh, after a while, he had concerns about some people in the leadership of the campaign. Hmm. Maybe he didn't have his best interest at heart. Uh, he and I had developed a wonderful relationship as brothers in Christ. And so he confided some of these things with me, and I thought we'd had a good conversation as as I began to walk away. And he says, that's why I'd like to make you the campaign chairman, which didn't yet exist, which put me in charge of the campaign manager, the communications director, the policy director, the whole enchilada. And so uh, just in the same way as that crisis in Korea, (laughs) uh, we applied good biblical principles, and uh, we gained a lot more... uh, wind in our sails. We had a good three months before he dropped out after Super Tuesday, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was a wonderful spiritual experience and a wonderful life experience with him. He's such a gracious, godly man, and we were able to build a team. We were able to feel good about what we were doing, and we uh, felt like for the first time we were doing the right things for the right reasons. Wow. Ben Carson is one of my heroes. I read his book when I was uh, in in high school. Sure. That's really cool how you got to work with him and develop that bond as brothers in Christ. That's really cool. Yeah. Amen. So you, you made mention of resilience a couple of times since we've been talking so far and, but that has been a focus of your life for the last several years. You've developed a resilience, God style. You've got a game, you've got books. I want to dive into this whole resilience topic. What 
is resilience and how can I grow that in my life? Right. Many people would say resilience is bending and not breaking. Another way you might say is returning to your original shape would be what the dictionary would tell you. Uh, I would use the analogy of a tennis ball and an egg. You know, an egg smatters to the ground. A tennis ball bounces. We would all want to be tennis balls. Today, uh, uh, regrettably, um, we have too many eggs in our culture. I don't want to provide too much political commentary, but I think the necessity for safe spaces and trigger warnings and things like that are an illustration that people have not learned to be resilient, but they've learned to be fragile Mm -hmm. and they've learned to carry a spirit of offense with them. And so at every small microaggression, they fracture, they do emotional cutoff uh, rather than uh, working through issues and, and understanding conflict resolution and understanding some key principles of resilience that allow people to prepare for the storms of life, weather the storms of life, and then bounce back in it without getting stuck in all these toxic emotions of guilt, false guilt, anger, bitterness. And then, as we all know, hurricane season comes around again and again. So we have to get ready of growing better, stronger, wiser through adversity for the next challenge of life. Jesus said, in the world, we will have tribulation. It's not maybe, it's not might, but it, we will. And so it's, it's only logical that we uh, get ready ahead of time. Paul Turnier said, we fall the way we lean. And so if we're going to fall into the arms of God, we need to get ready ahead of time uh, so that when trauma does visit our doorstep, even COVID virus mm-hmm. visits our doorstep, then we fall into the arms of God. We have the right spiritual reflexes that enhance the potential for bouncing back quickly and successfully. And so that preparation phase, having oil in our lamps, so to speak, having uh, our wells of courage brimming with optimism and expectation when possible, all makes sense. So when the storm happens, we are prepared for it. I'll, I'll let you ask questions. Certainly can dive in deeper on this. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking about our world today. You know, we're recording this at the end of March 2020, and the world is in upheaval right now, trying to battle this coronavirus. And resilience is something that we really need to lean into, as you put it. You fall the way that you lean. And what's some simple things that people that struggle with fragility can start to develop some resilience? Well, something that comes to mind uh, is uh, James one nineteen, and it says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. The problem is oftentimes in today's culture, we are slow to hear, mm-hmm. quick to uh, speak, and quick to get angry. And, and so how do we avoid that dynamic? And I call it, we need to flee the spirit of offense. Amen. <laughs> we really have to work hard to uh, extend grace to others, you know, recognize we have a log in our eye while others have specks in their eyes. And we need this humble, contrite, and trembling at God's word is awful important. I offer that when we're going through something like COVID-19 and the economic collapse and everything related to it, uh, a 10-minute devotion just won't get it. I mean, it's nice to have a 10-minute devotion with the Lord, but I, I call it putting in the IV in crisis, we have to put in the IV of God's word and it's music 
it's reading the word, it's fellowship, it's listening to podcasts like yours. It's doing everything possible to immerse ourselves into this uh, godly uh, environment. We must marinate in the right stuff. If we listen to the news 24 hours a day, if we absolutely have to make every COVID-19 press briefing, you know, if we're just sitting on the edge of our chairs, it's like when there's a war in the nation. You know, the first advice we give to military wives is just turn off the TV, hmm. you know, and marinate in the right things uh, in the Word of God and fill yourself with living waters rather than listening to the, the fears and the doubts and the anger and the bitterness around you. That's great advice. You know, I've tried to do that this last week, actually just turning off the TV a little bit more, not watching every press conference and, uh, you know, that desire to know the facts is a pretty big drive, but the desire to know the truth of God's word should be something that's heavier on our lives than that, right? because that, that truth doesn't change. The facts can change, things like that, that we're dealing with. They change day to day, hourly even, but the word of God mm-hmm. endures forever. Mm-hmm. I, it's interesting. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people at home with their children now, and it's an, a very difficult thing perhaps, and particularly for young teens, and we see for young millennials, they don't quite get it related to uh, the danger that we face and that this is an existential crisis that no one in this generation or no one living, apart from some of the World War II vets perhaps, understand the, the magnitude of what we're facing. So it's hard for these people, youngsters, to take it seriously. For the parents I would just uh, encourage you, I understand it's hard, but you need to try to help your uh, flock understand the seriousness of this and yet the sufficiency of God. Mm-hmm. It's a teachable moment. Yeah. And so as parents, I in- encourage them to, u- to do that teachable moment. My daughter-in-law the other day, I'd given them my resilience books a couple of years back, you know, and all the grandkids and things they hadn't. They hadn't really paid much attention to it. It's sort of like a prophet in his own country. <laughs> or so the, the net, however, is that just a couple of days ago, she said, hey, uh, we need some more study guides, a study guide for each one of the granddaughters. I want to start homeschooling mm-hmm. them on this resilience. So they're going through the resilience curriculum right now as we speak in a homeschool sense, this COVID-19 has been the precipitating event. You know, I say threat clears a man's or a woman's head. Yeah. So people in America have pretty clear heads today and it's a teachable moment. And so for we as Christians, as for us as merchants of hope and for parents, uh, we should use this teachable moment to uh, again, fill people with living water and, and with the right tools. I maintain that resilience is a critical life skill. So we all get body slammed. We need to know how to bounce back and these biblical principles help us do that. Yeah, I'm gonna ask more about that as we're wrapping up, like how people can get those books. I'll be providing links in the show notes, so don't worry about that. But Bob, I wanna ask you, what has happened in your life that has showed you that Jesus has been walking with you, even though it might not have felt like that in the moment. But whenever you look back, you can see that he's been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Well, th- this, this might be curious to you, but uh, I, I mentioned I played football, and in Texas, football's big. And so this was in junior high football. I was the captain of the team. 
but one of the coaches benched me. So it was an unusual circumstance. I'm the captain of the team, but I'm sitting on the bench. Maybe I was 15, 16, somewhere in there. Uh, I couldn't handle it. And it, it created in me an incredible bitterness. I played basketball also. And this football coach walked into the basketball court during a game one time. And I became so angry and just frenetic about this that I simply couldn't, I couldn't continue to play basketball. Hmm. And so this degree of bitterness and anger made me so dysfunctional and, and it lasted for a couple of years. Wow. And as I look back at that, that was a critically important life experience because um, God at an early age taught me how destructive bitterness hmm. is. And now today, when I speak to men's conferences, the most relevant topic, time in and time out, is this notion of bitterness. And how do we loosen our grip on that toxic emotion? And particularly in an age of divorce, you know, you've got bitterness against the ex, or you've got bitterness, you play woulda, coulda, shoulda, things that that occurred in your life. And if you hold this tight grip onto that, it just becomes destructive. I was going to school in England, and we, we met a wonderful couple, and they finally said, hey, would you like to meet, the lady said, would you like to meet my sister? And uh, we said, sure. It was at a flat in London. We went to meet the sister, and these are two British ladies, two years apart. They're both over 60. One's lovely, vivacious. That was our friend that we knew. And then the sister answered the door, and we thought it was the mother or the grandmother. Mm. And it's like, well, wow, what a difference two years apart, these two. And over dinner, we learned that these two British ladies, girls at the time, their father was a British naval attache. And when the 1941, not a good Mm -hmm. year, Hong Kong uh, invaded by the Japanese, the Japanese raped over 10,000 civilians in that province in the first month of their occupation. These ladies were deterred in the Camp Stanley prison camp in Hong Kong for a couple of years. You can only imagine what befell them. And yet one was bright, optimistic, vivacious. The other one, the cancer of bitterness had eaten her up from the inside out, outside in. It was just this graphic comparison, these two bookends. So along the way, I saw how bitterness impacted my own life. I've seen how bitterness has impacted some others as I've been learning more about resilience. And so part of the resilience life cycle the bouncing back phase includes two parts. One is to look in the rearview mirror. Let's look back on the that unpleasant life experience, whatever it was, uh, and we need to process it. We need to guard our primary relationships, but we need to grieve well, but also we need to achieve a position of forgiveness and gratitude, which is the antidote to bitterness. Bitterness is the poison we drink to kill someone mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. That's really a, a crazy illogical thing, but it happens. So loosening grip on bitterness is awful important. I say, okay, what is stewardship? Stewardship like Moses, when he had the rod in his hand, he threw it down, turned into a serpent, demonstrated God's power. So he loosened his grip on what was in his hand. The little boy with loaves and fishes loosened his grip on what was in his hand. And so the same, that's called stewardship. Releasing it to God, he blesses it, blesses us. And the stewardship of pain is equally important. Hmm. Sometimes we have pain in our hands. And so the ability to loosen our grip on pain 
as an act of stewardship, offer it up to God, and God uses that very pain even to bless us and to bless others. And eventually, he allows us to comfort others with that which we've been comforted. So there's this whole economy uh, in God's terms related to pain, suffering, uh, and bitterness that we just need to follow his uh, roadmap for releasing these things and not holding on to them because they're very toxic. Wow. I love how you phrase that, the stewardship of pain. And that's something that it can really kill us or we can steward it and use that as a catalyst to grow. That's really well put. I appreciate that. You know, Bob, as you look back at your life, I'm sure that there's some point in your timeline that you think, man, if I could have just given myself this piece of advice, that would have changed a lot of things. Do you have any thoughts about, you know, where you would intersect with your timeline and talk to young Bob and give some advice? What's happening in that situation and what would you say? Sure. I think it gets to the notion of uh, suicide. I won't tell the story unless you have time of the two bookends as a young officer or as, uh, as today as I'm dealing with the reality of military suicides. But before I do that, in my own life, there was a time where I was hard-pressed. I was in a new job. We had young children. We were on uh, vacation, but really I wasn't on vacation because I was sensing so many demands. Mm. And uh, in, in just a bizarre way, and I was losing, I had losing sleep and all that, so I wasn't thinking straight. In a bizarre way, uh, I entertained notions of suicide for just a, a short period of time one mm. evening. Uh, people that know me say, how in the world could that be? And, and the reality is we all can get to that point if we allow the pressures, the waves that are coming over the boat to be greater than our faith. And so you look at the storm on the Sea of Galilee, the waves were coming over the boat. Jesus chastised him a bit, oh, you have a little faith. And the point is the problem is not the big waves because we all have big waves. But at that moment in time, I had little faith Hmm. uh, for just physical, mental, spiritual exhaustion. I had flown myself into the ground. I had compassion fatigue, whatever you want to call it, close to burnout. And that brought me close to the point of suicide. So if I were to talk to myself, I would talk to myself uh, at that time. I I would have leaned in properly to the Word of God. And I would have be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I would read David where he talks about the anguish that he faced and the, the life threats and so forth, and yet how he always ended up at a place of praise. I would have recognized, I would have talked to myself, remember, Bob, that your weapon is worship. Your weapon is to lean into the Word of God, look up, focus on Jesus, don't focus on the waves. Mm. And the thing that, you, that is so big right now in your world is really pretty tiny with respect to the grandeur of God. I wrote a blog, uh, John, a, a couple weeks ago, and it, it says, with height comes perspective. And so this notion of perspective helps us achieve the right focus, and it helps our faith to increase and our fears to diminish. Mm. So the perspective, I listened to a sermon by Times Square Church, And it talked about the hollow of your hand. And in Jewish terms, 
that's a little crevice of your hand. And yet in Isaiah 40, it says, God holds all the oceans and the rivers and the streams in his hand. You know, that's the grandeur of God. And it said, and the, and the span of his hand measures the heavens. Uh, that the, the span in Jewish terms is between the thumb and the pinky finger. In his hand, he measures the heavens of the trillions of miles away of the nearest star beyond our solar yeah. system. You know, it just reminds us of the glory of God, and that allows us to gain spiritual altitude, which affords perspective, which puts the travails of our own life in proper regard to the greatness of God. That's what I would try to tell myself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. way back then. It was a teachable moment. God uses those. You know, I wouldn't ask for anything different now in retrospect because I learned, but that's how I would counsel myself. Well, that experience probably gave you a better understanding of what some of these other guys are going through and the feelings and emotions that they're struggling with, because that is a big part of your ministry now is speaking to guys about that. You mentioned another bookend. I'd love to hear about that. Oh, sure. When I was a young lieutenant, I'd been in my platoon about uh, three weeks, 101st Airborne Division. I had like 45 screaming airborne troopers. You know, it's not for the weak or faint-hearted, but it's really a, a high testosterone environment. Uh, I got a call the night before Easter and said, come, you have to come to Sergeant Smitty's house. And so I went over to this guy's house trailer, lived just off post. And as it turned out, Sergeant Smitty had taken a shotgun to his head and blown himself away. Mm. And after the first responders left, I was there in the house trailer with the young widow and her daughter. And as a new platoon leader, you know, what was I, 22 years old myself, something like that? I said, well, how can I help you? And she said, well, uh, today uh, we hit Easter eggs in preparation for tomorrow morning, Easter Sunday. So could you come back in the morning and could you walk around with my daughter and can we collect Easter eggs together? And, and so, you know, that, that's a, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that really uh, put me on my heels, but that burned very deeply into my soul, the tragedy of suicide, tragedy of somebody taking their life and the depths to which they could sink. Uh, and, and yet the, the, the fact that God can, can help with that. God can keep people out of those yeah, depths. Yeah. And that's why this, this notion of preparedness is so important. You know, we got to do everything possible to get ready for these storms of life so that we can navigate them. So the bookend at the other end, you know, I'm working hard on establishing something called National Center for Healthy Veterans. And this is close to Liberty University in uh, Central Virginia. And it's a uh, You know, today we have 22 military suicides a day among the veterans, veteran suicides a day. So today there will be 22 veterans that will take their lives, and it could be even more with all the COVID and the economy Mm -hmm. stuff going on. So I want to break the back of that that epidemic of suicide, and uh, I'm convinced that, uh, you know, as I've navigated the military and things and also Veterans Affairs, We don't really employ faith-based protocols and programs to the degree that we should. And I know that they make a difference. And these days, empirically, we know that they make a difference. And so the only roadblock is political correctness. And we've got to get beyond that because the lives of these people are far more important than 
whether somebody might feel uncomfortable about faith or not. So uh, with that as context, we're, that's why we're working this National Center for Healthy Veterans. But also, uh, just over the last uh, 18 months, I've been asked to informally look at two suicides by three-star flag officers, one in the Navy, one in the Army. And as I get into that, obviously, it's no respecter of persons. Yeah. Anyone can become desperate to the point of killing themselves. And there's several things. One is isolation. One is insecurity. And one, frankly, is very practical, but it's sleep deprivation. The reality on the sleep deprivation is that when we lose sleep because of stress and lose sleep because of other things, our brain's neurotransmitters do not replenish the way they should. And actually our brain, some scientists will tell you, our brain cells shrink when we sleep at night. And when they shrink, they force toxins out into the intercellular space, and then the body naturally washes those out. But if we're not sleeping, and if we're not doing the right diet and not getting the right exercise and all those things, all of these things compound. And so you start uh, what I would call stinking thinking. Mm. You simply uh, are not able to think straight. And so one of these three-star officers, he, he said, I've just, I'm being put into a job that I don't think I'm adequate for. And I might embarrass myself, my family, my army. So I'll kill myself to avoid that. And it's just incredible to, to that the illogic, you know, that's so illogical. And yet that's the point you get to with some of these things. And also in his world, uh, a very insecure. And so he carried on a, a torrid work uh, ethic for years because he just never felt like he was quite adequate. Mm-hmm. So he had to work harder and work harder and work harder. And that combination of things plus isolation is a toxic mix. Yeah. I'm glad that you're focusing on that and developing the National Center for Healthy Veterans because that's something that's really needed. These men and women that have served our country so faithfully and their suicide rates higher than average. And so, right. yeah, the, the fact that you're able to help them is, is awesome. So thank you for doing that. And we call it healthy vets, of course. Yeah, thank you. Well, we're on this together. But we call it healthy vets because of the great potential they have. I mean, in, in this day and age, our veterans can model the right values. They can be moral standard bearers. You know, they can be examples in many, many ways, and they can provide a wise voice in times of national crisis. Uh, so healthy veterans are really good for America. The problem is some of them, because of their work on experiences and things, are not healthy. Mm-hmm. So we want to help them achieve their full God-given potential. And that's why we call them healthy veterans. Uh, we want to get them back on the road to help America. Yeah. Bob, how can people find out more about you? Well, probably the best website is uh, resiliencegodstyle.com. And there's a lot on there. I mean, you can Google me and you find out things in YouTube videos and this and that. But resiliencegodstyle.com is the best repository of, of what I'm doing now and the resources we have. And people can find your books in the game there and other great resources too. Sure. And uh, you mentioned the game. That's been my latest passion because I think transfer of values across generational lines is so important. Uh, it, it's a uh, key to resilience. 
And resilience, as I said, critical life skills. So I earlier had teamed with a, a lady that does a lot of training games, over, I think, 50 training games for different corporations, Cisco Corporation and Microsoft and IBM, all these different corporations, training games that are very effective. You play them in group and teams and so forth. So I did one for the Air Force, and the Air Force has used a military resilience game to good effect. But my real heart passion was not to have to comb out any of the secret sauce and have a high-octane training, resilience training game, resilience God-style, not by power, by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And in the course of that, uh, we developed this training game. And I'm excited, particularly in the days of COVID-19, with parents who are homeschooling and, and then normal homeschoolers, normal church schools and things, who would benefit from a healthy, fun, dynamic, uh, resilience training game. Uh, I'm excited that we've been able to get that on the street in the last three months and people are starting to use it to good effect. That's really cool. Yeah, the, from what I've been able to see of the game, it looks like a lot of fun and a, a great thing to do with a group of people as well. Yeah. 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 Well, Bob, as we're wrapping up right here, I just want to say thank you so much for serving our country and thank you even more for serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, John. And uh, thank you likewise for what you're doing. We're all in this together. We're all called to be merchants of hope in our own marketplace. You're doing that with excellence. And, uh, you know, I'll keep putting one boot in front of the other as well. So it's good to do it together. Amen. Well, Bob, thank you so much for allowing me to join you along your way. I am looking forward to when I can actually meet Major General Bob Dees in person. Unfortunately, because of the coronavirus situation, Bob had to Skype into my real-life TV show instead of joining us in person, so we've only connected on the phone and online, but I hope that we have the chance to connect someday soon in person. I know that I have a lot more to learn from him. As I've been listening and working on this episode, I've been inspired by Bob's intentionality. I love that Bob looked at himself as a missionary in the military, not just a soldier. I'm very challenged by his preparing for the very real possibility of being a prisoner of war in Vietnam, not being afraid, but purposefully memorizing scripture so that if his Bible would be taken by the enemy, he would not be without the word of God, so it was hidden in his heart. Memorizing scripture is really important, but I often only memorize a few verses a year, and that's normally because I use them enough in work to consider them memorized. I'm not as purposeful with it as I would like to be. I also loved his stories from ranger school. That was incredible that he had pneumonia one day and he would have to leave his ranger class, but God healed him and he got back into the program with his class the very next day because there was no signs of pneumonia. Pneumonia doesn't go away that quickly and I wouldn't want to go through that training with a lung condition. That would be brutal. I've had bronchitis and it was the sickest that I have ever been, so I can imagine what that would have been like to be healed in one day. That is a miracle. But I really loved how he got back to his squad and how God used that experience to demonstrate to him the importance of knowing his friend's voice in the dark. Do you know the sound of God's voice in the dark? When he was commissioned to take over division command in Korea, he was overwhelmed because he had only nine days to do what most people do in a year to prepare. He knew that he couldn't do it. You fall the way you lean. So he leaned on God and God gave him the strength and a plan. Remember Nehemiah. I know from my life that sometimes God only needs to remind you of something in his word to know what your heavenly marching orders are. 
on one mission trip, God told me to remember David, and I knew exactly what to do. If Bob didn't have the Word of God hidden in his heart already, he wouldn't have been able to act confidently on that full blueprint. One of the verses that Bob referenced when we were talking about resilience was James 1.19. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We need to flee the spirit of offense and extend God's grace to others, especially during this pandemic time when we are all cooped up like this. Let's put in that spiritual IV. Bob's heart now to address the veteran health issue is very needed. It's so sad that 22 veterans end their lives every day. Isolation, insecurity, and sleep deprivation are three major factors in the suicide rate. If you're feeling any of those, please get help today. God is the voice that you recognize in the dark that is calling out to rescue you. You just need to respond to him today, and he can help put you on the right path to resilience, God style. I'll be providing Bob's info and links in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this episode with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That'll help more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast in your favorite app. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at my website, alongtheway.media. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey. And may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way.